Hi everyone and welcome to Cults and Crime, a true crime podcast covering cults, crime, and everything in between. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nicole. Before I get started, I have a mom update. And everyone loves mom updates. So while I was editing the content of our intro video, I got about three phone calls from our mom. Yeah, I got a phone call from her too, actually. Oh, but only one? Yeah, I guess. We know who the favorite is here. (laughs) Mom, if they're listening, that really stings. (laughs) All right, so I'll read off one of the voicemails really quick. Hey, Nick, I'm calling to say I can't listen to your videos, but I'm your number one fan and I love you guys. Aww. Oh, that's right. So this week we're doing a crime segment. Nicole, what are we covering? All right, Jamie. So I'm talking about Mary Edna Baracco, and she's one of the oldest missing cases in Connecticut. So I found it really interesting. Okay. But I'm ready to dive in when you are. Ready and willing. Let's go. Mary Edna Baracco was born on August 11th, 1946. All of her loved ones called her Mary Pooh. Mary grew up with 11 siblings and attended Danbury High School until the age of 16 when she dropped out of high school to marry her first husband. Together they had two daughters, but this marriage didn't last very long. Within a couple years, she got divorced. After her divorce, she worked several odd jobs, either as bartending or as a housemaid. And this is where she met her second husband, Dominic. Did she meet him at the bar or cleaning houses? She met Dominic at the bar. He was the bar's owner, actually. Her relationship with Dominic was considered a whirlwind romance, and within a couple months, they were engaged and got married. And they were happy for maybe a minute before Dominic became incredibly abusive. And he had a really bad issue with cheating as well. There were several accounts of physical abuse. I was looking at uh, one of the articles And one of her daughters used to, oh, as soon as she got her first car, she would sleep outside in her car because she felt safer that way. So he beat the children too? Yeah, uh, I saw another account that he had this paddle and he had all of the children, including his own names engraved on the paddle. And every time he would hit one of them, he would put a little notch. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, because you're a normal person. But, you know, things just got worse and worse and worse until at one point Mary tried to leave. And she tried to leave several times before that as well. But every time she would take the kids and he would find her and convince her to come back. The final time that he found her and they had that discussion, they really decided this was the last straw and he really needed to work on things and get better. They wanted a fresh start, so they bought a brand new home. And by all accounts, Mary was really hopeful this was going to fix everything and that Dominic was going to change. But within six months of living in their new home, Mary had discovered that once again, Dominic was cheating on her. Of course he was. Yeah. And Mary had reached her endpoint, and this was the last straw for her. She filed for divorce. Go Mary. Right? Go Mary. <laughs> Mary filed for divorce, and at one point during the divorce, she quit claim to the house for the sum of a dollar. So she washed her hands of it, basically just giving it to him. And I really do feel like Mary did that just to be done. So as the divorce proceedings were moving, proceedings were moving forward on August 19th, 1984, both daughters had talked to Mary and just gotten off the phone with her. And that was a regular occurrence. Both daughters were incredibly close to Mary and they talked to each other every single day. 
As days went by, neither one of the girls heard from Mary. They got increasingly concerned to one point that one of the daughters, when she got off work, decided to drive by Mary's house to check on her and make sure things were okay. And when she got there, the scene was frightening to say the least. So Mary's daughter got there. The very first thing she noticed was her mother's car was at the very end of the driveway. The window had been smashed in and there was glass in the driver's side seat. Was there blood or anything? No blood. But one of the things I think is weird, and let me explain to you what what it is, Jamie, is if you're sitting in the driver's side and someone smashes the window to get to you, why would there be glass on the driver's side seat? It'd be on the person's lap. And when they moved, it would be disturbed, right? Well, yeah, there was, that makes sense. So in my mind, that just sounds like everything was staged, especially because there's no blood, you know, nothing. Well, yeah, because even if like magically the glass got on a seat underneath someone, they would have cut themselves on it at some point or someone would have cut themselves on it. Exactly. So the scene was really odd and Mary's daughter felt the same way. So she made it, waited for her stepdad to come home. When Dominic got there, he had an explanation for everything. He had said, and I'll quote him on this, your mother left. She took some money I had buried around the house and she took off. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell your sister. My lawyer will handle everything. Buried, like in the ground? So I'm not entirely sure if he was talking figuratively, money buried in my backyard style, or if it was just a turn of phrase. Okay, but I'm definitely imagining large bags of money in the ground, but continue. (laughs) He then asked asked Mary's daughter to leave and come back later to grab the rest of Mary's things, which she did. But when she walked through the door of the house, she noticed that a couple things were weird. Weird like how? Oddly enough, every single picture of Mary was taken off the walls. You couldn't find a trace of her in the house. That's weird. She just left. Yeah. And when Mary's daughter got upstairs and tried to grab some of her clothes, there wasn't a single article of Mary's clothing left over. Her daughter even said that she couldn't find a spare sock. So is Dominic trying to tell the story that the that Mary left and took all the pictures of her with her? I'm not sure. I think maybe he took them down. I don't think he was trying to say that Mary took all the photos. I think he's trying to paint the picture that he's a scorned lover and he took them off himself. Because yeah, I'm just imagining Mary with no vehicle, piles of photographs of herself, and also dirty money just trying to walk down the road, you know, mud-covered dollar bills in her wake. Yeah, well, I think he's trying to paint the picture that she left. I don't know what he thought he was going to accomplish by leaving her car and smashing in the window. Oh, yeah. That just seems odd. And then she took, so, you know, you're in a hurry. You take every single item of clothes you have. You're carrying it on your back because you didn't take your car keys. Like, I don't know about you, but I have way more clothes than I can physically carry on my body without having some sort of vehicle. Yeah. It just, none of it really makes sense. It's a really odd scene. Yeah. And Mary's daughters had felt that way as well. And she's so close with her daughters, she would have at least left them a note. Exactly. I, you know, she didn't seem, or at least from my research, she doesn't seem like the kind of person to just walk away from her life, like some people do. She loved her, she loved her daughters, she loved her family, she was just trying to get away from one person. And for her to completely wash her hands of everything, including leaving her car there and, with, and maybe smashing her own window? 
I'm not entirely sure what Dominic, or you know, I'm not sure exactly what the storyline was gonna be. But Dominic tried to move on and tried to, you know, move forward with his life. So on August 28th, 1984, that's nine days after the girl's last contact with their mom, Dominic filed for a divorce on the ground of abandonment. Oh, that's quick. Yeah, well, if you really think about it, they had, you know, tried to separate several times and Mary always came back. So for me, this is really weird because if he knew she wasn't coming back, That'd be the only reason why I could see him filing for divorce as quickly as he did. Yeah, they've been separated and separated back together and separated and back together. Why is this time any different, Dominic? Why isn't he trying to find her to bring her back? Like he's done so many times. Both Mary's daughters had felt like it was odd as well that he was moving on so quickly. So two days after he filed for divorce, they attempted to file a missing person for their mom. And police did go and speak with Dominic, but he had a story for them as well. The same story he gave to the daughters? Actually, a different one. Dominic's story was his last contact with Mary was August 20th, and that's the day after the girls said they had lost contact with their mother. Him and Mary had discussed their divorce settlement, and he had offered her $100,000 to $250,000, and this was supposed to be some kind of informal divorce settlement. But part of the settlement itself was, involved her leaving the house, and according to him that day, she packed up all of her things and left. So no more muddy bags of money, huh? No, no more ma- muddy bags of money. But he actually did come forward with a second story to police. So three stories total. Yes, three stories total. This story is that, you know, same thing as last time where he had last seen her on August 20th and they'd gone to the house and discussed the divorce. But he had gone home or at least gone to work and he'd left the house. And apparently, according to him, Mary stole his money and left without saying goodbye. You know what hits me as really weird with this story? What? You know, they had bought a house together, but Mary didn't want any money from the house. She just wanted to be, you know, away from him, done with him. Mm-hmm. But yet she steals or takes his money. Yeah, you know, none of nothing about this story really adds up. None of it rings true. Exactly. I'm, you know, I can see pieces of it, but none of it altogether. All these stories that Dominic's saying, and none of it really makes a lot of sense to me as well. Yeah, but he doesn't, he's adding details that don't sound like Mary. They sound like something he would do. Yeah, and none of the stories that he came forward with the police really explained about the broken window. Or where Mary was in general. Yeah, or where Mary was. He did come forward to the police eventually and explain that he was the one that smashed the window in, but he did re- and refused to take a polygraph test. I can't blame him. Polygraphs are historically unreliable. Yeah, they are inaccurate, but doesn't it make you look super guilty if you don't take the polygraph? See, it's like a catch-22 where you take it and you're so emotionally distraught because your family member's missing that you automatically fail it. Or you're actually guilty and you fail it. Or you say, I don't want to take it because I did a quick Google and figured out that it's not, like, reliable. Yeah, well, you know, that is that is the problem. You just never know. It's just one of those things where cops put a lot of weight in it because they want to see how it's viewed from their standpoint instead of how it's viewed from the victim's family standpoint or whoever's taking the polygraph. Yeah, and it's hard because if you feel like you're partially responsible for someone's disappearance, 
which could be, oh, I didn't call them at eight o'clock like I usually do. So I feel like it's my fault. You're gonna fail the polygraph. You're gonna fail that question on the polygraph. I read a story about a dad whose daughter went missing. Like he was three states away and he he came back false on a, on a polygraph and he's like, well, I think I do know where she is. I think she's in heaven. Oh, but yeah, he did refuse to take the polygraph test and he explained that he had moved out of the house he shared with Mary and he was renting it out to a woman. But within a couple months, he had moved back in to live with that woman and they did get married. That's not suspicious at all. No, of course not. Oh, Dominic. But one of the things I thought was really weird, I'm just going to touch on it really briefly, is that the police never took Mary's car for evidence. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, they felt like it. there was no real evidence of foul play and they didn't think it was necessary. Which... The window smashed in. Why is it not necessary? And why is there no evidence of foul play? Well, even like if you're a cop, even if you don't think you're going to find any evidence, you might as well run it anyways. It's a missing persons case. There yeah. could be receipts in there. Exactly. But I don't know. Maybe in 1984, it just wasn't as common to check for all evidence. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, protocol might not have been as stringent as it is now you know over time that kind of stuff well i think the police really just believed dominic that she had left on her own will so they didn't feel like it was necessary to take the car and it's just kind of concerning to me because how much information was in that car that they could have gotten years and years later the car itself is missing in action they don't know where it is and there's no legal records of it being given away or sold it just disappeared Mary's daughters begged the police to put this as a missing person, but they believed Dominic when he said that she took the money and ran off, and for years and years, she was just missing in action, pretty much. But the daughters didn't stop fighting, and in 1990, they enlisted the help of their state representative, And they, but this time, instead of turning it from a missing person, they wanted to turn it to a homicide. After all those years, they just didn't believe that Mary would need to use her identity or that she wouldn't come home to her daughters. And they did succeed. Well, this is where things start getting really odd. This is when they get odd? Yes, this is when it gets odd. The state representative that helped Mary's daughters turn Mary's case into a homicide got a brick thrown through her window right after the ruling. And her son, who was on the same basketball team as Dominic's son, was told that he needed to mind her own business in regards to the case. But that's where the case went cold. Years and years went by with not a single shred of evidence, no body. That is until a Hell's Angel came forward. The ex-Hell's Angel member that was in Witness Protection Program tipped off the police about the case. He stated that Mary was killed after a member of the Bridgeport chapter Hell's Angels issued a contract on her life, but he wouldn't state who. But we know somebody that's in the Hell's Angels that's really connected to this case. Is it Dominic? No, it's actually Dominic's son, Joseph. He was a member of the Hells Angel, and he was in prison in 1989 for hiring two men to firebomb a bar owned by one of Dominic's rivals. So he was an obvious suspect in this case. But they think Dominic's son, Joseph, had an accomplice to this murder. Who is it? Dominic had a really close friend named Steve Kendall, who was also in the motorcycle game. And it's believed that Dominic had the two men kill Mary and hide her body. They imprisoned Joseph after the receiving this tip, and he refused to do an interview and refused to take a polygraph test. But when asked about people being suspicious of him in this investigation, he said, try and prove it. Steve, on the other hand, refused to do an interview, but agreed to take a polygraph test, which he failed. 
So take that as you will. The first question was he claimed that he'd never seen Mary. And the second question was whether or not he knew of any motorcycle gang member that had killed her. Neither Stephen nor Joseph were ever formally charged in this investigation, however. Also, as a quick side note, I tried to look up Joseph to see if he was hot. Oh my god, Nicole. I don't know. I, for whatever reason, I just assumed he was really attractive, but I couldn't find a single mud shot of him, Jamie. Most likely because he's not attractive. You're, you're deranged. <laughs> Seek help. So I have a proposition for our one listener. <laughs> Which, by the way, is my husband's mom. Hi, Pat. Hi, Pat. If you can find the mugshot, I will give you a shout out. So unlike if you find, the one we just gave her. <laughs> unlike, yeah, unlike the one we just gave you, Pat, if you find this mugshot, I'll give you another shout out. <laughs> a more exciting shout out. A shoutier shout out. Shoutier shout out. So what I want our one listener, hopefully more listeners to do, is if they find this mugshot, email it to crimeincult at gmail.com with a picture. Okay, let's move on from that line of questioning. <laughs> okay, so the case went cold for years after that until a tip came in from a man by the name of Lee. Well, Lee told police is one night he had overheard another man claiming he had buried a bunch of cars in his property for Dominic, and his late man was later identified as Ernest. Now, police did contact Ernest, and the very first question they had for him was, hey, did you bury a bunch of cars in your backyard? Which, by the way, totally normal thing to do. Oh, yeah, I bury cars in my backyard every week. (laughs) In which he said he didn't have any cars buried in his backyard. He didn't even know Dominic. After another interview with police, he came forward and admitted he had several cars buried on his property, and he was a pretty good friend of Dominic's. The police, feeling like this was a really good lead, got a warrant to search Ernest's properties. And guess what they found? Did they find Mary's car? So what they uncovered was there was three cars in total buried throughout Ernest's several properties. And one car was the same exact make and model as Mary's car. Well, was it her car or not? It wasn't. After they went through the car, they figured out it it wasn't hers. But they'd ended up investigating him for uh, tampering with evidence. And he was, but he wasn't formally charged. Seems like no one's getting charged with anything real quick. Yeah, they, well, they take, they take a lot of people in in this case, but no one ever gets charged. In 2010, the grand jury attempted to open a secret investigation into these murders. I think I read somewhere that they did over 60 interviews. That seems like a lot. Yeah, and it's... Out of all the interviews they did, they didn't get a single shred of new evidence. The secret didn't stay in for long. A judge who was working right down the hall was feeding information to a man named Ronald Rocky Richet about everything. Who's that? So, Ronald Rocky Richet, and I'll just start calling him Rocky, is actually a friend of Dominic's and was requesting information into the whole thing. Dominic, in fact, got charged with bribery for offering the judge $100,000, and his wife got investigated for perjuring. I was able to find the transcripts between a phone call made between Rocky and one of the judges. So what me and Jamie are going to do is I'm going to play the judge, and Jamie's going to play Rocky. Hello? Rocky Bruce? What's up? Well, you called. What are you doing, brother? Well, I'm working. I just got through work. What the fuck? You can't, uh, 
What, you don't work that late? I will. We had a shooting today over there in Bristol. Did you read the, uh... Where? Don't you watch the news? For Christ's sake. Hey, listen. Where? You... You called me this morning. What's up? What's going on? What's going on at that, uh, Badaraco? I don't know. It's a grand jury. It's secret. I can't get involved in that. You know that. I told him that. He called. Did he, uh, call you yesterday? He called me yesterday. Did he call from your cell phone? Yeah. What, what are you crazy giving him the number? Yeah, no, no more. Yeah. Did you give him the number? What did he say? Well, he offered me money. Can't fucking do that. No, 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 don't take it. Well, I'm not. <laughs> he he wanted me to do, do that last week. He wanted me to do it. He said, I gotta give Brune something. So I, I told him I wouldn't call you. I wouldn't, I would even, uh, you know what? Who's his lawyer? Mahan up in Bridgeport? Oh, Mahan. Yeah, Dick Mahan. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's got a good lawyer, but you know, he's fucking calling me and he's offered me fucking money. What's he want? What do you want me to do? The very last shred of evidence I could find was in 2012, they searched the home of Mary and Dominic looking for evidence and didn't find anything. Well, yeah, after all that time. Yeah, and I'm not even sure what they're looking for, or maybe that the court investigation did lead to some piece of information they don't want to disclose. I'm just, I'm trying to think of what possibly could be there after all that time. Like a shoebox under a floorboard or something? You know, modern day technology, maybe they wanted to see the house again, but somebody else was already living there at the time. So, yeah, I'm not even sure what they were looking for, what they thought they were going to find, but nothing came forward from that information. Mary's daughters haven't given up trying to find her. They have a Facebook page called Bring Mary Home with a bunch of more information. And if anybody has any tips to come forward, that'd be a good way to, place to go. They also have a billboard out for Mary offering a $50,000 award for any tips that would lead to her appearance or finding their body. It's just so sad because there's so many ways this could have gone better where they, the police or Dominic or Dominic's kids or anyone involved could have done something just a little different and it could have been a completely different case. Well, I think that if this case was treated as a homicide or at least a missing person initially, it would have been a whole different case, but it was mismanaged and mishandled from the start. I just, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like there's a lot, there was a piece of evidence, something really important in that car, or else why would it have gone missing? And why can't they, why haven't they found it yet? Well, somebody's trying to make sure it stays under wraps. That's what, you know, that's what makes sense to me is somebody doesn't want it to be found because there's some shred of evidence in there. I just wanted to add that if any of our viewers know somebody or is someone that's suffering from domestic violence, you're not alone and there is help out there. I just did a quick Google search and there's a site called ncadv.org. It has a list of all the safety shelters you can go to. So we're going to be transitioning from crime to cult next week. Jamie's going to have a fresh new episode for us, and she has a sneak peek. What do you have, Jamie? That's really the nature of how cults get you. By starting slow, promising to help you realize your goals. If someone had said early on, hey, Sarah, can we brand you with our leader's initials next to your crotch? I would have said that's fucking crazy. Oh my god, I cannot wait till next week. Yeah, the Nexium cult's a good one. It's crazy. All right, so that's the end of our episode. Hey, Colton Prime fans, 
If you like listening to us discuss charismatic leaders and husbands who definitely did it, then one of the easiest ways to support us is by subscribing to us on whatever listening platform you're using and giving us a five-star review. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Intro music and background music is Wrong by Dan Hennig.